Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, episode 52, The Query. Donald threw everything aside, careless of possible disgrace in the class, and next morning, and trembling with hope, accompanied Gibby. She would be there surely. It was one of those clear nights in which a gleam of straw collar in the west, with light thinned gray-green, deepening into blue above it. It's like the very edge of the axe of the cold, the edge that reaches the soul. But the youths were warm enough. They had health and hope, the hospitable crimson room. With his round table set out for a scotch tea, and its fire blazing hugely, received them. And there sat Geneva by the fire, with her pretty feet on a footstool before it. In those days ladies wore open shoes, and showed dainty stockings. Her face looked rosy, but it was from the firelight, for when she turned it towards them it showed pale, as usual. She received them, as always, with the same simple sincerity that had been hers on the bank of the Lorry Burn. But Gibby read some trouble in her eyes for his soul was all touch, and like a delicate spiritual seismograph, responded at once to the least tremble of a neighboring soul. The minister was not present, and Mrs. Sclatter had both to be the blazing coal and keep blowing herself, else however hot it might be at the smoldering hearth, the little company would have sent up no flame of talk. When tea was over, Gibby went to the window, got it within the red curtains, and peeped out. Returning presently, he spelled with fingers and signed with hands to Ginevra that it was a glorious night. Would she not come for a walk? Ginevra looked to Mrs. Sclatter. Gibby wants me to go for a walk, she said. Certainly, my dear, if you are well enough to go with him, replied her friend. I am always well, answered Ginevra. I can't go with you, said Mrs. Sclatter, for I expect my husband every moment. But what occasion is there with two such nights to protect you? She was straining hard on the bit of propriety, but she knew them all so well. She said to herself, then first perceiving Gibby's design, Donald cast him a grateful glance, while Ginevra rose hastily and ran to put on her outer garments. Plainly to Donald, she was pleased to go. When they stood on the pavement, there was the moon. In a blue heaven, it was not all her own, but the clouds about her were white and attendant, and ever when they came near her, took on her livery, the poor, pale rainbow collar. There was keen but dry, but snow, and of nothing like it there was nothing but those few frozen vapors that came softly out of the deeps to wait on the moon. The steps of the youths rang on the pavement, and Donald's voice seemed to him so loud and clear that he muffled it all in gentler meaning. He spoke low, and Geneva answered him softly. They walked close together, and Gibby flitted to and fro, now on this side, now on that, now in front of them, now behind. Who liketh ye the sermon, ma'am? asked Donald. Papa thought it a grand sermon, answered Ginevra. And yourself? persisted Donald. Papa tells me I am no judge, she replied. That's as muckle as to say ye didna like it, say, will as he did, returned Donald in a tone expressing some relief. 
"'Mr. Duff is very good to my father, Donald,' she rejoined, "'and I don't like to say anything against his sermon, "'but all the time I could not help thinking "'whether your mother would like this and that. "'For you know, Donald, good I have got from her, "'and from Gibby, and from you, Donald.' "'The youth's heart beat with a pleasure "'that rose to physical pain. "'Had he been a winged creature, "'he would have flown straight up, but being a sober, wingless human, he stumped on with his two happy legs. Gladly would he have shown her the unreality of Fergus to carry show and seeming, but he felt just because he had reason to fear him, that it would be unmanly to speak the truth of him behind his back, except in the absolute necessity of rectitude. He felt also that, if Ginevra owed her father's friend such delicacy, he owed him at least a little silence. Donald remained silent. Ginevra presently returned him his own question. How did you like the sermon, Donald? Did ye want me to say, ma'am? he asked. I do, Donald, she answered. Well, I would just say, in a general why, and I cannot think muckle o any sermon at matched garabody think Merrill o the preacher nor o him at he comes to preach about. I mean, and I didna see how anybody was to to love God or his neighbor a jot the more for hearing yon sermon last night. But might not some be frightened by it and brought to repentance, Donald? Suggested the girl. Oh, yeah, I dare say I dunna can. That's just what I was feeling. I don't say thinking, you know, for you think we must not say think when we have taken no trouble about it. I'm sorry for Mr. Duff if he has taken to teaching where he does not understand. They had left the city behind them and were walking a wide open road with a great sky above it. On its borders were small fenced fields and a house here and there with a garden. It was a plain featured, slightly undulated lating country with hardly any trees not at all beautiful except as every place under the heaven which man has not defiled is beautiful to him who can see what is there donald felt as so many will feel before the earth like a hand set to hatch the eggs of a soaring bird shall have done rearing broods for heaven that with this essential love and wonder by his side to be doomed to go on walking why'd you no take my arm ma'am he said at length some courage i just spin myself like a horse with a ran broken gan by myself through the air this gate before he had finished the sentence geneva had accepted the offer it was the first time his arm trembled he thought it was her hand you're no call are ye ma'am he said not the least she answered eh ma'am gin folk was but a maid Uto the same clay like it, and much say till another ye hay me as ye hay yourself. Yes, Donald rejoined Geneva. I wish we were all made of the poet clay like you. What it would be to have a well inside out of which to draw songs and ballads as I pleased. That's what you have, Donald. Or rather, you're just a draw well of music yourself. Donald laughed merrily. A moment more, and he broke out singing. My thoughts are like fireflies passing in moonlight. My heart is a silver cup full of red wine. My soul a pale gleaming horizon when sunlight will flood the gold earth with a torrent divine. What's that, Donald? cried Geneva. Oh, nothing, answered Donald. It was only my heart a lot, heart lotching. Say the words, said Geneva. I cannot, I didn't can them, no, replied Donald. Oh, Donald, are those lovely words gone altogether forever? Shall I not hear them again? 
I'll try to mend up oh, then when I gang home, he said. I can of the now. I can think of nothing but A then. And what is that, Donald? Your cell, answered Donald. Geneva's hand lifted just a half of its weight from Donald's arm, like a bird that had thought of flying, then settled again. It is very pleasant to be together once more, as in the old time, Donald, though there are no daisies and green fields. But what place is that, Donald? Instinctively, almost unconsciously, she wanted to turn the conversation. The place she pointed to was an opening immediately on the roadside, through a high bank, narrow and dark, with one side half-lighted by the moon. She had often passed it, walking with her schoolfellows, but had never thought of asking what it was. In the shining dusk, it looked strange, and a little dreadful. "'It's the muckle quarry, ma'am,' answered Donald. "'Div ye no ken that? I wonder at ye never solved it.' "'I have seen the opening there, but never took much notice of it before,' said Geneva. "'Come, and I'll let ye see it, then,' rejoined Donald. "'It's well worth looking at, until ye hae a nay notion sick a place as tis. "'You wouldn't a be flight to come and see what the mean max o't wad ye, ma'am?' "'No, Donald, I would not be frightened to go anywhere with you, but—' "'Eh, ma'am, it makes me right proud to hear you say that. "'Come a while, then.' "'So saying, he turned aside and led her into the narrow passage, "'cut through a friable sort of granite. "'Gibby, thinking they had gone to have but a peep in return, "'stood in the road, looking at the clouds and the moon, "'and crooning to himself. "'By and by, when he found they did not return, he followed them. "'When they reached the end of the cutting, "'Geneva started at sight of the vast gulf. The moon showing the one wall a ghastly gray, and from the other throwing a shadow half across the bottom. But a winding road went down into it, and Donald led her on. She shrunk at first, drawing back from the profound, mysterious-looking abbot so awfully still. But when Donald looked at her, she was ashamed to refuse to go farther, and indeed almost afraid to take her hand from his arm. So he led her down the terrace road. The side of the quarry was on one hand, and on the other she could see only into the gulf. "'Oh, Donald,' she said at length, almost in a whisper, "'this is like a dream I once had, "'of going down and down a long roundabout road, "'inside the earth, down and down, "'to the heart of a place full of the dead, "'the ground black with death, "'and between horrible walls.' "'Donald looked at her. "'His face was in the light reflected "'from the opposite gray precipice. "'She thought it looked white and strange.' and grew more frightened but dared not speak presently dono again began to sing but went on leading her down into the pit he had been afraid she was going to draw back and sang the first words her words suggested knowing she would not interrupt him the aspect of the place grew frightful to her are you sure there are no holes full of water down there she faltered eh there's an or twa replied donald but we'll haw do to them Geneva shuddered, but was determined to show no fear. Donald would should not reproach her with lack of faith. They stepped at last on the level below, covered with granite, chips and stones, and great blocks. In the middle rose a confused heap of all sorts. To this and around to the other side of it, Donald led her. There shone the moon on the corner of a pool, the rest of which crept away in blackness under an overhanging 
mass. She caught his arm with both hands. He told her to look up. Steep granite rock was above them all round, on one side dark, on the other molted with the moon, and the thousand shadows of its own roughness over the gulf hung vaulted the blue, cloud-blotted sky, whence the moon seemed to look straight down upon her, asking what they were about, away from their kind in such a place of terror. Suddenly Donald caught her hand. She looked in his face. It was not the moon that could make it so white. Geneva, he said with trembling voice. Yes, Donald, she answered. You're no angry at me, for can ye by your name? I never did it afore. I always call you Donald, she answered. There, that's natural. You're a grand lady, and I'm nothing aboon a hair laddie. You're a great poet, Donald, and that's much more than being a lady or a gentleman. Eh, maybe, answered Donald listlessly, as if he were thinking of something far away. But it wouldn't make up for the tither. There are no uppo, the same side o' the water like. A poor lad like me darn a lift and e till a grand lady like you, ma'am. Eh, the world would but scorn him and lotch at the vera notion. My time's near o'er at the college, and I say nothing for tea but gang hamin free free hair myself. I'll be better working with my hands nor with my head when I hay nay hoop left over seeing your face again. I wouldn't lose a day about it. Still she looked him in the eyes, like one bewildered, unable to withdraw her eyes from his. Her face, too, had grown white. Tell me to haul my tongue, ma'am, and I'll haul it, he said. Her lips moved, but no sound came. I can wheel, he went on. Ye can never look upon me as anything mare, nor a kin o' a human bird. At ye would hang hang in a cage, and gave seeds and bits of sugar till, and hearken till when he sang, I'll never trouble ye name more, and whether ye grant me my prayer or no, you'll never see me again. The only differ I'll be, and I'll either hang my head or hold it up for the rest of my days. I would fain ken it. I was not despised, and it may begin things had been different. But no, I didn't mean that. I mean nothing at what frightst ye fray when I would hay. It's sudden I mean a hair mare, nor lies in itself. What is it, Donald? said Geneva, half inaudibly, and with effort. She could scarcely speak for a fluttering in her throat. I could beseech ye up on my knees, he went on, as if she had not spoken, to let me kiss your bonny foot. But that ye matched grant for bare pity, and that would be de me little good. Say for ants, and for a till, maybe after were I aunt the muckle sea, I beseech at the father, O oh, ye sweet soul, to lay upon me as upon the lips o' the soul as sang ye the songs. Ye licked us so well to hear when ye was but a laddie lassie, a solitary kiss. It shall be holy to me as the lichd. The last word broke the spell upon Geneva. But Donald, she said, as quietly as when years ago they had talked by the lorry's side, would it be right? A secret with you I could not tell to anyone, not even af if afterwards. Donald's face grew so ghastly with utter despair that absolute terror seized her. She turned from him and fled, calling, Gibby, Gibby. He was not many yards off, approaching the mound, as she came from behind it. He ran to meet her. She darted to him like a dove pursued by a hawk, threw herself into his arms, laid her head on his shoulder, and wept. Gibby held her fast, and with all the ways in his poor power sought to comfort her. She raised her face at length. It was all wet with tears which glistened in the moonlight. Hurriedly, Gibby asked on his fingers, Was Donald not good to you? 
He's beautiful, she sobbed, but I couldn't, you know, Gibby. I couldn't. I don't care a straw about position and all that. Who would with a poet? But I couldn't, you know, Gibby. I couldn't let him think I might have married him. In any case, could I now, Gibby? She laid her head again on his shoulder and sobbed. Gibby did not well understand her. Donald, where he had thrown himself on a heap of granite chips, heard and understood, felt and knew, and resolved all in one. The moon shone, and the clouds went flitting like ice flow about the sky, now gray in distance, now near the moon in white, now in her very presence and adorned with her favor on their bosoms, now drifting again into the gray, and still the two, Geneva and Gibby, stood motionless, Gibby with the tears in his eyes, and Geneva weeping as if her heart would break, and behind the granite blocks lay Donald. Again Geneva raised her head. Gibby, you must go and look after poor Donald, she said. Gibby went, but Donald was nowhere to be seen. To escape the two he loved so well, and be alone as he felt, he had crept away softly into one of the many recesses of the place. Again and again Gibby made the noise with which he was accustomed to call him, but he gave back no answer, and they understood that wherever he was he wanted to be left to himself. They climbed again the winding way out of the gulf, and left him the heart of its desolation. Take me home, Gibby, said Geneva, when they reached the high road. As they went, not a word more passed between them. Geneva was as dumb as Gibby, and Gibby was sadder than he had ever been in his life. Not only for Donald's sake, but because in his inexperienced heart he feared that Geneva would not listen to Donald, because she could, could not, because she had already promised herself to Fergus Duff. And with all his love to his kind, he could not think it well that Fergus should be made happy at such a price. He left her at her own door and went home, hoping to find Donald there before him. He was not there. Hour after hour passed, and he did not appear. At eleven o'clock, Gibby set out to look for him, but with little hope of finding him. He went all the way back to the quarry, thinking it possible he might be waiting there, expecting him to return without Geneva. The moon was now low, and her light reached but a little way into it, so that the look of the place was quite altered, and the bottom of it almost dark. But Gibby had no fear. He went down to the spot, almost filling his way where they had stood, got upon the heap, and called and whistled many times, but no answer came. Donald was away. He did not himself know where. Wandering wherever, Gibby went home again, and sat up all night, keeping the kettle boiling, ready to make tea for him the moment he should come in. But even in the morning, Donald did not appear. Gibby was anxious, for Donald was unhappy. He might hear of him at the college, he thought, and went at the usual hour. Sure enough, as he entered the quadrangle, there was Donald going in at the door, leading to the moral philosophy classroom. For hours neglecting his own class, he watched about the court, but Donald never showed himself. Gibby concluded he had watched to avoid him, and had gone home by Crown Street, and himself returned the usual and shorter way sure almost of now finding him in his room, although probably with the door locked. The room was empty, and Mistress Murkison had not seen him. Donald's final examination, upon which alone his degree now depended, came on the next day. Gibby watched to at a certain corner, and unseen saw him pass, with a face pale but strong, eyes that seemed not to have slept, and lips that looked the inexorable warders of many sighs. After that he did not see him once till the last day of the session arrived. Then in the public room he saw him go up to receive his degree. Never before had he seen him look grand, and Gibby knew that there was not any evil in the world except wrong, but it had been the dreariest week he had ever passed. 
As they came from the public room, he lay in wait for him once more, but again in vain. He must have gone through the sacristan's garden behind. When he reached his lodging, he found a note from Donald awaiting him, in which he bade him good-bye, said he was going to his mother, and asked him to pack up his things for him. He would write to Mistress Murkison and tell her what to do with the chest. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acre Soft Story Classic.